Good morning, church. Are, are you awake in the back? Everyone's awake in the back? Brian is? All right. Nice. How about this side? Are you awake over here? Oh, okay. I better be careful. Uh, I'm in a series on worship, and man, has it been good. So if, thank you. If you... If you've missed any of the Sundays, I really, really encourage you to go back and, and to listen. <laughs> Gabe, I, I see you sitting there, and funny story, I was prophesying over your brother on Wednesday, and I called him Gabe, but it was Spencer, and so I don't really know, maybe the word's for you too, but uh, get the word secondhand from him. It was a good encouraging word anyway. Good to see you, Gabe. Um, if you've missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to go back and listen because um, it is more than just clap your hands and, and sing. It's, it's a series on the fundamentals of worship, and we've gone really, really deep on some areas. Last week, we spent time talking about uh, the Hebrew words for worship and how that applies, and we appropriate that to our life. We've learned the different mechanics of worship, how your worship can look different. Every time you decide to worship God, it can look different. Sometimes it includes tears. Sometimes it includes a shout. Sometimes it includes kneeling. Um, this is just the physical manifestation of what worship looks like. And so I encourage you, Brian, do something different today in your worship to the Lord. This week... I want to touch on another aspect. I don't know, this is supposed to be, Lawrence, my last week in worship, but I'm really just loving this series so much, and there's so much to say. I don't know if I'll, you may just come back next week and see where we're landing. I might wrap it up today, I don't know. Um, I just think the Lord is really pleased that we're learning authentic worship. You know, you didn't show up today as a spectator. And you showed up to really participate in worship corporately as a body of believers. And I'm grateful for you doing that. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in our hearts. We've been talking about this notion of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And in a roundabout way, you being a priest, which is what I've shared with you over several weeks, how God has ordained you to be a king and a priest. And then diving into what it looks like to put God on the throne of our heart rather than our own agendas and our own philosophies. We've been worshiping God in spirit and in truth. In truth meaning we're worshiping God according to what Scripture says to do. We're not trying to veer outside of what Scripture tells us worship is. Everything we've been addressing is very biblical, sunny. We've, we've pulling Scripture right out of the pages of the Holy Bible to prove to you that this is how God wants to be worshipped and this is how God wants to be praised. So we've been walking through that. Today I want to hit another topic called the three keys to unlocking the power of praise. Three keys to unlocking the power of praise. Father, we come before you today God, I thank you for the presence of God that is in the room. I ask that you would help us to receive what you have for us today. I ask that you would help us to lean into your word, the truth of your word, 
God, let our spirits be moved. Let our minds intellectually be moved. Let our bodies be moved to worship you, God, the way a king deserves. God, you're not a pastime. You're not a hobby. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we be found faithful in our worship to you today. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say amen. I went yesterday to find a suit. I, I have two suits. I own two suits, um, and I alternate them in seasons of life. I call this one of them my big boy suit. And then the other one, my super skinny, will I ever see that man again suit. Uh, it's still hanging in my closet on the off chance that I'm ever a 28 again. <laughs> anyway, I had a wedding to officiate yesterday from uh, some family of ours, family friends of ours, and I realized that I didn't have a suit. So Saturday morning, I woke up at 9 a.m., and I purposed in my heart that I was going to go find a suit. And the wedding was out of town. At 3.30, I had to be there. And so my wife, who is in the bathroom, she's getting ready for her day. She hears that I'm about to go get a suit. And she goes, come here, let me pray for you. Romy, I thought, this is so sweet. I love this woman. I said, pray for me. So she hugs me. And she says, Lord, just help Trey find a good suit. Just help him find a, a good deal, one that he likes, one that fits him. And God, we repent for him waiting to the last minute. I said, no. I stopped the prayer. I don't know if God was happy with that. And I said, well, don't repent for me. You can't repent for me. And so anyway, she said, Lord, she, she giggled and then hugged me again and said, God, give him, give him a deal that he just does not deserve. And I'm like, I, I'm just going to go and take my chances. I don't think I want your prayer. <laughs> I called her an hour later. I found the perfect suit and had it tailored within five minutes. And she said, you're welcome. <laughs> I said, for what? She was like, my prayer worked. And I'm like, oh, no. Prayer works for sure. Anyway, I got the suit. And uh, the wedding was fantastic and it was beautiful. You guys know uh, Ashley Sarter and Tom. They used to be part of our church and uh, wonderful people. Uh, they, they've since moved to Dallas. They were married yesterday, and so now they're somewhere having fun. But uh, it's good to be uh, not in a suit this morning. And I am appreciative of my wife who prayed for me, even though I didn't really like the method in which she prayed for me. But it worked. Has God ever called you to worship him in a method that you weren't particularly fond of? Or have you just stayed in the rhythms of your life? You know, the, I don't know, some of us are bold enough to do the touchdown, but oftentimes we stick with the hold a baby in our worship. And there's nothing wrong with how you raise your hands. There's nothing wrong if you clap offbeat. I'm just asking, what's the new thing that the Lord has been birthing inside of you to offer new worship to him. Your worship is powerful. I don't know if anyone's told you this, but your worship shakes heaven and hell. Your worship. Now, I know 
For those who have been in this series, I've said it every week, the goal is not for you to leave this church today and say, man, worship was good because we weren't actually doing that for you. Worship is not about pleasing you. It's not your birthday, although it might be. It's someone's birthday today. But even still with your birthday today, the worship was not for you. It was for God. So we ask ourselves, Michael, was God happy with the worship that I offered today? That's the question. Because it doesn't really matter what a team does on platform, how polished it is, how good it sounds, whether the lights work or the loops work or everything is fine. What happened within your heart today? What did you offer to God today? Was your worship beautiful? Because worship is powerful. Maybe that door that you've been waiting to get unlocked, maybe the key is worship. Maybe God is wanting to use worship in your life to take you to the next level. So I want to talk to you today on the three keys of unlocking the power of praise. There are three very important biblical principles that will, I believe, unlock the power, the full power of your praise. Praise isn't only intended to redeem our relationship with the living God, but our rulership as kings and priests. Biblical praise and worship should include God's power to you, but also God's power through you. I don't know if you understand where you're positioned at in the hierarchy of humanity, But if earth is here and heaven is here, you're somewhere in the middle. You would be what we call a mediator. You know how Jesus is a mediator for you. You are a mediator for the world. You are a priest to God and a king to earth. You stand between the heavens and earth. And and to get the full power of our praise the first thing we need is the power of vocal proclamation. Vocal proclamation. Mark 11, 20 through 24 says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Hmm. Whoever says to this mountain, it will be removed. Here he's speaking to his disciples about the power of prayer. Now, I don't know if you realize, but worship is a form of prayer, and prayer is a form of worship. So the application of prayer often works in the application of worship. And Jesus lets us know that it was his speaking that caused the tree to wither. Throughout Scripture, there is great importance placed on our words, on our voice. There's great importance placed upon confession. Confess your sins one to another so that what? Confess your sins one to another so that you may be 
healed, right? You're forgiven when you confess your sins to God. You are, you are saved and on your way to glory, but many of us are walk, walking around broken in our life because we've not yet confessed one to a, another, confessed our sins to someone else so that we may be healed. Confession is a vocal proclamation. A declaration is a vocal proclamation. And oftentimes our vocal affirmation of the truth is incorporated in our worship. Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, in other words, speak to the mountain. Did you catch the authority that's in that word? Speak. Jesus is so chill. I love it. You got a problem? Speak to it. Notice that Jesus didn't tell the disciples to whine about it. He didn't tell them to scream about it, wish that it would go away. He, he didn't encourage them to complain about the mountain to their neighbors or call a committee or a family meeting to complain about the mountain. He said, just speak to it. You have, as a son and a daughter, you have the authority to actually just speak to that mountain and tell it to go. Too often we get caught up in the striving to make the mountain go, trying to negotiate with the mountain, trying to convince the mountain that it's in the wrong spot, trying to convince the mountain that maybe we're strong enough just to walk over it because my daddy walked over it, my granddaddy walked over it, my great-granddaddy walked over it. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? The subtleties of, in, in, my, in the past, the lineage of my past, everyone has just accepted it. I love what Michaela said today. There are real diagnoses in our world that are legit and medical, biological. And you should take medicine for it if the doctor told you to. But when did we just start accepting the doctor is God? When did we stop petitioning heaven for a mountain that God says he can move? I believe that God can heal cancer. I've seen him do it. I believe that God can heal a deaf man. I've seen him do it. I believe that God can heal stupid. I'm not sure I've seen him do that. But I believe that he can. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Now, let me just say, we're not a church that says, hey, pull out all the medicine out of your medicine cabinet and flush it down the toilet because you've been healed. That's, that's the stupid that I'm not, I don't know if God heals or not. We believe that if God heals you, the doctor will confirm what God has already done inside of you. So I just needed for your safety to throw that out there. But my point is, why do we just accept the label that has been placed on us when Jesus says we can just speak to the mountain? Now, Scripture does teach a balanced theology on this, by the way. I am not a name it, claim it blab it, grab it, preacher. You can say all day long that you are highly favored, but if you were talking against your boss or your leader and you're, you're always critical of their methods and you're always critical of their decisions, that's probably not going to be the atmosphere that you're going to be highly favored in. You can shout and declare that you're prosperous, but if your savings account hasn't seen a new fresh dollar since 2018, 
you're probably not going to be prosperous because kingdom principles don't override human alignment. God has promises for you in the word, but kingdom principles and promises don't override your alignment to what God has called you to be, do, speak, and live. So when I talk about the power of our words, I also want to make sure that we don't try to deny reality. If you have a headache, you have a headache. We all know those oversaved people, right? You say you've got a headache and they say, no, you don't. In Jesus' name, no, I, I really do. I, how about Jesus and Tylenol? <laughs> Some of us will do Tylenol without Jesus, and others will do Jesus without Tylenol. It's actually okay to do both. We don't have to deny reality, but here's what we can do. We can stop just seeing our life through the lens of what's visible, You can admit that you have a headache, but you can also add on to it, I'm being healed in the name of Jesus. I'm being restored in the name of Jesus. Yeah, our marriage is is going through some stuff, but we're being reconciled in the name of Jesus. Do you see? You can admit reality. You can admit the opportunity for a miracle while also speaking faith to it. Consider another place that Jesus talks about our words In Matthew 12, 36 through 37, Jesus says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. Hmm. For by your words you will be justified and your words will be condemned. Now, I'm I'm a very quiet guy off the platform. I know that's hard to believe. Some of you think I'm the life of the party until you invite me to the party. Then you realize... I'm not the life of the party. I'm, I'm a severe introvert until I preach. And then the grace of God comes on me to have words. And I use the entire words for my week in this 30 minutes. <laughs> and then I'm very, very quiet off the platform. Hardly say anything. And that actually is going to work in my favor. Uh, because every idle word is a word that we're going to have to give an account for. And some of you people that talk a lot are going to have a lot to give an account for. Every idle word, you will have to give an account. And James 3 tells us that the tongue is a fire. It's a fire that corrupts the whole person and sets their whole life on fire. So there is power in our words. There's power in proclamation, both for good and for evil. What does that have to do with worship? Well, there is, a, there is a difference in worship. And I'm talking today about corporate, the corporate worship setting while we're here at church. There is a difference between half-heartedly singing, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, versus understanding the power of those words. When you, start, when you hear that music start and you know they're going to that verse, going to that course, And it's welling up within you. And then you sing that with all that is within you. There's a difference. Like when you're going through something and that song, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You just sing it at the top of your lungs. All of a sudden, your spirit man is linking with what's being sung from platform. And there's power behind your words. Versus 
No weapon against me shall prosper. There's no power in that. We would do well in our worship to understand that the words that you sing and the words that you speak during worship are being sent on assignment. Our vocal proclamations make our praise and worship powerful and effective. The second thing that makes our praise and worship powerful and effective is the power of agreement. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? When we show up to worship, our agreement, our alignment is critical. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unity is one of the things at the exchange church that we fight for. We fight for unity at the exchange church. We all should be saying the same thing. We should be of one mind and one heart. There should be no divisions among us. In fact, Holy Spirit, if there is any division in the congregation of the exchange church in the room today, or anyone watching online, I ask that you would just root it out. Root it out. Send it on. Either change them or send them on. In the name of Jesus. Because we understand the power of unity at the exchange church. Let's let's go a bit deeper with it. Agreement happens in worship when you say amen. A-M-E-N. I feel like it should say amen. But it's amen. 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 Why do you say amen? Anyone actually know? We don't say amen in service just to make the preacher feel good. We don't say amen to encourage the pastor or the preacher, though it may encourage the pastor or the preacher. And I've told you guys before, the more engaged you are in a sermon, the more the speaker will be engaged in delivering, you will get a better sermon. Whoever's preaching on a Sunday, you will get a better sermon for them the more engaged you are. Because it's kind of a, a give and take, right? But that's not really why you say amen. You don't say amen so that you get a better sermon. And you certainly don't say amen so that the pastor can go home and think, hey, they really liked me today. Who cares what the pastor thinks? I, I heard us. I heard it. I heard something this week. They said, show up on a Sunday and you'll see how popular the preacher is. <laughs> show up on a Wednesday and you'll see how popular Jesus is. I thought, it really is not about us at all. Whether you're here on a Sunday or a Wednesday, the reason we're here is for Jesus. But when you say amen, 
which means let it be, you say amen, you're not encouraging me, you're encouraging the word that's coming out of me to get planted in your life. Why? Because kingdom principles don't override human agreement. So when I say your home is blessed, let it be. You're taking that word from the air, you're taking the, the, the blessing from the air and you're applying it to your life. When a preacher says, you are the head and not the tail. Well, a few of us in the room. The rest of you either already knew you were the head and you don't need to apply it. I say something like, God is raising up this church to reach our community and change our city. Amen. Amen isn't just, hey, I think that's good, Pastor. I agree with you. A man is a spiritual connection to what's being laid on the table. And you're saying, I agree with that. And God's word says it will be established in the mouths and the hearts of two or three witnesses. So when there's a word going out, I need at least two of you out there to say amen so that it's established in what God is trying to do in our, in our church. That's why we say amen. You hear something good, it, it doesn't mean, you know, oftentimes I think we use amen because we know that our kid needs to hear what was just said, that our spouse really needs to hear what was just said. But what if we just start looking at sermons as opportunities and waiting for those prophetic nuggets to hit the air? And when it does, you're like, I'll have that one. It's like a prophetic buffet. And that one, amen. And this one, amen. Prosperity, amen. And health, amen. Healthy marriage, amen. Obedient kids, amen, amen, amen. 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 Anxiety gone in Jesus' name. Insecurity gone in Jesus' name. Addiction uprooted, cast into the fire, freedom in the room. Amen. Let it be. This is why we say amen. It is to come into agreement with what the preacher is saying. When a preacher or teacher declares what God is wanting to do or about to do, that is your opportunity to say amen. It is not about making the speaker feel good. It is not about making you look holy and like you know that it's supposed to be done that way. It is you activating your faith in the context of a sermon. This is why it's critical that the church come together. You have the ministry of amen. When you show up to church, you should just know that your ministry is one of amen. Yours is one to confirm what the Spirit of God is releasing in that moment and let it become applied to your life. You have the, spirit, the spiritual ministry of amen. And, and simply put, we aren't to function as lone rangers. We need each other. This sermon, I know some of you showed up and thought, man, Pastor prepared this sermon, but you actually had to prepare yourself for this sermon. This sermon is not just me presenting something to you. It is you and I feasting on what Holy Spirit is wanting to do among us. Gathering corporately is important. This is why Paul stated that one part of the body shouldn't say to the other, I don't need you. I have no need of you. The writer of Hebrews said, let us not give up meeting together 
as some are in the habit of doing. Because there's a, a purpose for you to be here. You have a part to play when you come to the Exchange Church. And in, in the age of live stream, I am, I am so grateful for live stream because I don't know if you know our story as a church. Someone asked us yesterday about live stream and it just took me back down memory lane. We actually, about six months before COVID, we shut down live stream because I didn't feel like I, I'm, I, I have excellent standards and I didn't feel like we were presenting to the viewer what I would be happy being their first time experience with the Exchange Church. Does that make sense? Like I would rather them have to come into the building and see how wonderful you are than to have like not great quality on live stream. Now it wasn't our volunteers' problems. They were working with the equipment and the stuff that we had. That, that's just what we had. But we had decided six months prior to COVID in 2020 to go ahead and shut that down. Thankfully, when COVID hit and we had to go, you know, we were required for a couple of weeks there. I think our church didn't meet for a few weeks. And uh, we went back to live stream and we poured all of our energy, all of our training, finances into getting live stream better so that the experience at home would be important. And that, and that was important, but, and I'm grateful for live stream. And if you're watching on live stream, you're just as much my family as anyone that's in the room. I'm, I'm grateful that you're watching. But unfortunately, the age of live stream has created two-dimensional Christianity it's as if the only thing that matters is you and Jesus. But that's actually not true. There's a whole other dimension of Christianity that requires coming together to be an encouragement to one another, to support one another, to worship together. We can't have the power of agreement alive and engaged in our worship if no one's here. There's not going to be a live stream option in heaven. You're actually going to have to make your way to the place of worship. And live stream is a great fill-in for when people are sick, when people are out of town, or people that can't, can't make it. It's a great option. So don't receive any undue shame. If you're feeling guilt and shame and frustration and offense, maybe you need to. Or maybe you need to get to church. Or maybe you're being too sensitive and you're the individual that I'm not referring to. I'm not referring to people that need live stream. I'm referring to people who have now leaned into live stream as their option. And it's great that you sit on the couch and you watch live stream with your spouse every week. But let's be honest, your spouse is more tolerant of your sin in your life than anyone else. Your spouse has already gotten used to the fact that you gossip. <laughs> they probably do too now. Because, you know, when you get married, you don't just start looking alike, you start to sin alike. And you tolerate each other's sins and you embrace it. So you both become angry. You both gossip. You both have unbelief. You're both arrogant and think that you could do the show much better. But when you get in the house of God and you get around other people that aren't like you and they're not as tolerant of your sin as your spouse, your spouse loves you. Hosanna, Pedro just loves you so much. He just loves it all. But you get around my wife 
and other people, and you might get called on some stuff. By the way, Hosanna called me out earlier. That's why I'm picking on her. <laughs> you get my point, though. You get around other people, and suddenly you might be accountable for your crap. And it's easy to keep it just between you and Jesus on live stream or you and Jesus on the back row. No offense, Brian. We love the back row, too. But you get my point. Still, not engaging in community, showing up late, leaving early because it's easy to say, I did my church time rather than being held accountable for all the things in the mess in my life. But you understand that salvation is the beginning of the Christian experience. We act as if once you got your ticket to heaven, you're good. That's just the beginning. You still have a whole life of growth ahead of you, and it doesn't happen in isolation. I love what Danny Silk says. He says people think they, are, they have gotten so good at knowing who they are, and they have a good perspective of who they are, yet when their breath is two inches from their nose, they don't know how nasty their breath stinks. Sometimes you're just too close to your own life to know what's really messed up. Power of agreement. You know, if you're seeking something from the Lord, the church is a good opportunity. Showing up a few minutes early is a good opportunity to share that with someone else. Walk up to somebody before service. Get here five minutes early. Walk up to somebody and say, hey, what, what can I agree with you about today in today's service? And then listen to it. And then when you're worshiping, let your agreement rise as you know that they're somewhere in the room and, and they're believing God for that. There's power in agreement. The third factor, my final point today, the third and final Factor for making praise and worship powerful and effective is moving in unity. It's similar to agreement, but moving in unity takes steps beyond simply agreeing. So we're actually moving forward together. It's one thing to get people to agree. It's it's quite another thing to get people to be found as one man. We were created as one body. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was ripped in two, often we think that that happened so that me and Jesus can be in the Holy of Holies, but really that veil being split in two was not about Jesus and me, it was Jesus and we. It was so that Jesus could build a bride. We move together. When one of us is hurt, all of us are hurt. When one of us experiences a joy, we all get to experience the joy. When one of us is grieving, we all get to mourn. Because we're one body. In the story of the Tower of Babel, we see a negative instance of moving together in unity. Genesis 11, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They all have one language. 
And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. God saw the need to intervene at the Tower of Babel because they were all headed in the same direction. It happens to be the wrong direction. But I wonder what would happen if we're all moving in the right direction. Remember the story of the walls of Jericho at the edge of the promised land. Joshua 6 says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Verse 5, And when they made a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, Then all the people, how many of the people? When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. There's power when we move in unity. The completion of the walls under Nehemiah, the story which birthed this church, Nehemiah 8, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people when he opened it. All the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people said, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What could God do among us if it wasn't all minus two or all minus four or all minus 12? What if all? What if you and I could actually live out what Jesus came to die for? His final prayer for all believers before his arrest, sentence, and crucifixion. In John 17, Jesus prayed that all of them, you and me, may be one. We know in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were all together in one place, in one accord, one heart, one mind. Moving as one man produces fruitful worship. That's why you should arrive to worship on time. It's not because we've spent hours preparing for you. It's not because pastor's a stickler about punctuality. It's because the one man can't move till all the men are here. Will you stand to your feet?
Father, I know that kingdom principles don't override human alignment. So we come into alignment with your word today, God. We acknowledge the power of agreement. God, we acknowledge the power of vocal proclamation. We acknowledge the power of moving in unity. God, our prayer is the same as Jesus, that we may all be one. That we would move in step, not not with a leader, not with a man or a woman, but with the Spirit of God. That we would just instinctively know what you're doing, what you're calling us to do in any given moment in our worship. God, maybe it's a time of coronation where we just acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe it's a time of repentance. Maybe it's a time of intimacy in our worship. God, whatever it is that you're stirring in the hearts of your church, God, I ask that we would be one. And I know I'm over time, church. But I just feel like there's a grace in the room to just go after division in homes. So I just want to pray over you. If if you're in the room and, you know, it could be small division. It could just be my wife or my husband wants a different color for our Christmas tree. He wants the frosted Christmas tree. I want a real tree. We can't seem to get past it. Like, I'm not saying you have to be at the edge of divorce, but there's just division. There's a brewing. There's a door that is open in your home between you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever the division is. I believe that the Lord wants to speak to that today. If that's you, will you just wave at me? Who are we praying for? Okay. It's one. Anyone else? Two. Anyone else? Three. Anyone else? What are we doing? We gonna sing something? We gonna sing something? every married couple come up here honey if you'll just hold hands every married couple will you just hold hands because here's what I'm sensing I'm sensing that there needs to be some restoration over here babe yeah wherever your spouse is find them and hold their hand 
And if you need healing in your marriage, we're going to do a little code. Because I feel like I feel like there's some healing, deep healing that needs to happen. And maybe for whatever reason, maybe you're serving, maybe your kids are right there and there's something that you've not had a conversation with them about. But there's division in your home and you need healing in your home. You need to be on the same page. You need there to be unity. You just give your spouse just a little squeeze, just a little squeeze. So they know that you're feeling it and they're going to squeeze back in agreement. Okay, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Okay, I think we just, I feel like we just got more people that need to speak against division in their home. Is there something you're wanting to say? Will you, will you lead us in prayer over that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. just thank you, God, for every person here, Father. We thank you for every family represented. We thank you that you are a God of unity, that you are not a God of confusion. We thank you, Lord, that um, all disunity, all confusion is not from you, and that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so right now, every division Every confusion, we cast it down at the foot of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We cast it down at the foot of Jesus. We give it to you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You are such a God of love and joy and peace, and you want that in our homes. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we accept unity in our home. Yes. Father, we repent. We repent for allowing disunity. We repent for allowing confusion to enter our homes. And we say no more. Yeah. And we're not going to look at the person. We're not going to accuse the person. We're not going to any longer point the finger, but we're going to look to you, God. We're going to look to you and we just give it all to you, Father, right now in Jesus' name because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so, Father, we just lay it at your feet. We surrender it to you in Jesus' name. We just thank you, Lord, for bringing healing, God, to every part of our home. And, Lord, we just commit to being that person. We commit to being the one that carries unity in the home. And, Father, we just pray for wisdom. God, I just ask that you give wisdom to the spiritual fathers in the home. Right now, we just pray for wisdom over them, God, as they lead their families. And we pray for wisdom over them all. Father, we just ask you to just pour your love, your peace, your joy into all these homes in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray for the kids because we know that the enemy can use any and everything, even our children. And so, Father, we just pray for our children, God, and we just say that they are yours. We give them to you and we just speak. We just speak your hand over each and every one of them, God. Give us wisdom, Father, with our children. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come 
and use us in new ways. Give us new ideas as we lead our families in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let it be. Let it be. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here today. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday at 6.30 for Awaken or Sunday at 10.30. God bless you. Take what you received in here and give it to someone out there.